This is The OK Days, a podcast to change the way we talk about mental health. Conversations are about just that, how we can still find the more than okay. Listen in to hear your story within other shares. Welcome, Jenny. Jenny is a registered dietitian making us rethink our relationships with food, our bodies, and society. Her nutrition counseling is H-A-E-S, or Health at Every Size Aligned, with a focus on intuitive eating. Today, we are talking about food and mental health, how to nurture that relationship, and how to rewrite our own food rules. So Jenny, welcome. Why don't you um, start us off, tell us a little bit about yourself and who you are today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Ada, and I'm really excited to be here and really excited to do my first (laughs) podcast. So I think you gave me a great intro, kind of told everyone who I am. I say, that's kind of it. I'm a registered dietitian. I live in Boston. I grew up just north of the city, and I think the Jenny that I am today is really the product of who I became when I went to college in New York City when I left for NYU. And I really started to notice the way that people talk about their body and the way that it's very, very normal and accepted for us to speak really negatively about our body and negative about the way that we look or the way that we feel in our body. And I think that's where I really started to click into who I am and what I want to do and how I want to be involved in the world or the change that I see in the world. And it just kind of adds up. I think I care really deeply for the people I love and people I don't even know or my clients, Mm -hmm. right? I I struggle to see people struggling or feeling uncomfortable. And I think my role in life has always been as somebody who cares deeply and wants to support. So it just kind of fits in that that's Mm -hmm. what I do. And that's how I am in real life. And I like to think that I'm very honest and real with clients and they see who Jenny really is. And I like to laugh and I use a lot of humor. And honestly, at the core of it, I'm a big goofball. (laughs) And I work in a private practice based out of New York and I work at a higher level of care for eating disorders. And outside of that, I just read lots of books and lay in bed and watch Netflix and I bake. (laughs) And that's kind of me. I love it. Thank you for sharing. I feel like we should also add that we are cousins. Our, my (laughs) mom and your dad are cousins. I honestly, I hope our parents are listening to this episode and they would laugh that I can't define the actual relationship, but that's what it is, right? Your dad and my mom, cousins? Yes, now, maybe? I think that's right, because that makes us second cousins, which is what I always say is true for us. Okay, great. That, That feels right. So thank you so much for Starting us off, I would love to hear a little bit more about this relationship between food and our bodies. You shared a little bit about how you first discovered um, your passion for exploring it. Um, I'd love to hear how you would describe that relationship between food and our bodies. Absolutely. I think what I really want to dwell on is this idea of body respect or body neutrality even that our relationship with food and our bodies can be different every day, every minute. And the biggest thing is that it is still our job to take care of our bodies, that we can feel kind of crummy or feel like we don't like the way that we look or we feel in our body. And still every morning we need to get out of bed and say, hey, it's my job to take care of you. Mm -hmm. And so I think that this relationship is something that has to exist 
So we might as well make it something that feels good and supports us and sets us up to be the best versions of ourselves. Mm. And food really is fuel. It is taking care of the body that gets us through the day and gets us through life. So it's, it's so important to explore it a little more. Um, did you have a moment, maybe it was when you started at NYU, but um, when you had a moment of your relationship with food, maybe that was like, I want to help other people do this too. That is such a great question. And I have this distinct memory of sitting in my bed before applying to college. And my dad was reading me lists of majors at different schools. And I just kept shaking my head. Nothing was sticking. And finally, he said nutrition. And I kind of got excited because I didn't really know what that would entail. And I think that as a high school student with no formal education on nutrition, I thought it was just health. I thought health had a look. I thought health had to be eating lots of salads. I thought it had to be being very regimented and rigid in exercise or movement. And I hate to say it, I think I really fell trapped to believing that Mm. being thin was a good way to tell somebody's health, that every body was Mm. meant to look that way. And obviously, as you mentioned before, I no longer think that, and I have been proven wrong time and time again Mm. in the time that I've been in this field, that we can't tell somebody's health just by looking at them. Mm. And that's why I'm more focused on helping people to make sustainable change, to do things that feel good in their body as opposed to looking at numbers on a scale or trying to manipulate shape and size because Mm. health's going to look different for everyone. So Mm. I think I had these moments in college where I kind of questioned what I was learning, right? I learned how to build a balanced plate. So of course we need macronutrients. We need protein, fat, carbohydrates, and I like to say bonus points for color. So (laughs) thinking of vegetables and fruit as if it's a little bit of a game and I think that I started to learn that it didn't need to be so rigid, that in fact, I might argue that health isn't rigid and that if a friend texted me in the middle of the afternoon and said, want to get ice cream, it would be more unhealthy for me to say no, because I'm worried about how that ice cream would impact my body than it Mm. would for me to say, hey, that sounds like fun. Let's go. Mm. And Mm. I think when I made that realization, I was like, holy crap. I've been looking at this all wrong and health (laughs) is really not a one size fits all and I better change my ways. And then Mm. I started to question the way that people around me were speaking, right? Why Mm -hmm. did my family and, you know, maybe I should say our family (laughs) sometimes say that foods like butter were quote unquote bad. Mm. And why are things that taste good indulgent or sinful? And I think when I started to question, that's when I realized like, that was my moment, right? That's where I knew Mm. I needed to be doing nutrition. I needed to be speaking to people and we all eat, right? Everyone has their Mm -hmm. own relationship to food. And it's important that we can focus our energy and our stress and anxiety outside of food because there's so much other stuff going on in the world. Mm -hmm. You can't see me right now, but I am nodding. I am viciously nodding on my side of this podcast recording because you (laughs) are everything you're saying is so eloquent and so true. Um, And you are that person that's asking those hard questions and helping people answer them. Um, So I'd love to hear, what is nutrition counseling? What can someone expect when they sit down with you for the first time? Absolutely. 
I like to say nutrition counseling is in some ways kind of like therapy. I think that maybe that's a good way to explain it so that it can be applied to a larger body of people who have already been through something similar. Mm -hmm. It's one-on-one. You're talking about things that you believe or think or feel in your body. And I'm on the other side of the screen at this point. (laughs) And I'm asking, right, what does it feel like to be in your body? I'm always asking for honesty and for you to speak on your experience because I can't tell anyone what it feels like to be in their body. So it looks Mm -hmm. different for everyone. For some people, and depending on which job or which level of care I'm working in, sometimes it's identifying an eating disorder voice. Hmm. Sometimes the counseling is about where are we finding that this eating disorder voice is coming through? Where is it manipulating you and your healthy self and preventing you from aligning with your values? For others, it's kind of questioning the influence of diet culture or things that they Hmm. have learned throughout their life. So it's really digging into those questions. And then it's also asking, right, what did you eat yesterday? Walk Mm -hmm. me through a typical day of eating so that we can be specific, right? I want to make changes that are helpful and make suggestions that make sense person by person. So I always tell people, if I make a suggestion that is not applicable for you, or you know that you won't do it, tell me right off the bat. Because the point of this is so that we both are benefiting, right? So you are seeing change and you are in a place where you can make that change and I can support you through it. And sessions afterwards are checking in. How did the goals go? What came up for you when you were challenging some of those thoughts that you've had? And how are you taking care of your body right now? Hmm. I feel like you are asking such powerful questions that, so many of us have never asked, like, what did you eat yesterday? Or walk me through a typical day of what you eat. At least for me, I can only speak for myself. Sometimes I don't know if I completely fully pay attention to that. Yes, I I am a creature of habit. Humans are. I like what I like. But sometimes it's such a routine that we need someone like you to help us take a step back. So that sounds like a very powerful role that you get to be in with your clients. Thanks. And I think it's true. I think it's really natural that we don't always know what we Mm -hmm. ate. I'd say nine times out of 10, if I ask somebody, what did you eat yesterday? We finish and I'll say, oh, anything else? And they're like, oh, and I also had this, right? (laughs) Or oh, at some point I also ate a cookie, (laughs) right? And I think that's normal. And I I think that's true for me too, right? When I reflect Mm -hmm. on this, I just ate a cookie right before this podcast, right? (laughs) Would I necessarily remember that tomorrow as the snack that I had? No, but Mm. it was on my way and it looked good. (laughs) So I think it's natural, right? We don't always know exactly what we're putting into our body. And what I want to see is, okay, did you respond to when you felt hungry? Or Mm. you're telling me you ate more than usual yesterday. Let's go through it. What feels more than usual? And sometimes it isn't in the end, or sometimes it is. And we say, okay, so what was going on? What were you responding Mm -hmm. to? What were some of the emotions that you had yesterday? How might that impact your appetite? Mm. You're really asking us to discover that relationship that we talked about before between food and our bodies. And we said it before, intuitive eating, but I'd love, could uh, could you break that down for us? What is intuitive eating? 
It's really bringing us back to our roots. It's listening to your body, what your body is telling you versus what the outside world is telling you. So think Mm -hmm. of a kid, like a toddler, when they're starting to eat solids on their own, Mm -hmm. right? They're eating until they feel satisfied. They're feeding themselves. They're picking off their plate what they want to eat until they feel done. And that's something that a lot of adults or even teenagers, people who are growing up, we lose that ability because society has told us what we should or shouldn't eat, how much Mm -hmm. is normal. And I say normal, quote unquote, of course. And so for intuitive eating, it's really about listening to your body. What is your body asking you for? And some days, right, that might be the cookie I just ate. And some Mm -hmm. days I might really want an apple with peanut butter. Or some days Mm. I might really want some, I don't know, leftover roasted vegetables and salad. It depends. Mm. And the truth is when we are telling ourselves we can only have certain foods, we don't get to decide what actually sounds good because we've narrated Mm. this is good, this is bad, and this is what I should be having. So Mm. we're moving away from the should and asking, what do I really want? What is my body Mm. telling me I'm in the mood for? right? If you want a sweet, something savory isn't going to cut it. <laughs> and if you want a cookie, right? Eating a piece of roasted broccoli is certainly not going to make you feel any better. Hmm. So it's allowing yourself to make that choice and to feed your body. I, I like that image of the child uh, learning how to eat solid foods for the first time. That like inner child that we all have, is there a way to like come back to him or her nurture that intuition of eating until we're full or eating um, to fuel our bodies. Is there a way to come back to that smaller, more innocent version of ourselves? In some ways, yes. And I think easier said than done because we're Mm -hmm. breaking all of these ideas that we've believed and we're pushing back on things that we've probably accepted as rules as Mm. I can only have this much or I can only have X number of pieces of pizza, right? Mm. Whatever it is. And this is hard work. And I think it is possible. Sometimes I ask people, right, what would happen if you ate more than that? Right? What would happen if you allowed yourself to eat more than just a handful? Right? What would that feel like? And it's really trial and error, right? Mm. There are times where you're going to eat past comfortable fullness. And I think the biggest thing is using everything as a learning opportunity for the future. Mm. So here's what it felt like when I ate more than I intended to. Here's what it felt like when I felt overly full. And next time I know what that feels like so I can adjust. Mm. And we we do want our food to taste good too, because that, I think that is such a beautiful part of, of life and traveling and being alive is experiencing this exciting stuff in the world, like tasting good food. I, um, you touched a little bit upon it, food rules, quote unquote. I saw you post on your Instagram about them the other day, and I wanted to learn more. So I'd love to hear what are food rules, quote unquote. Are we meant to follow them? Are we meant to write them ourselves? What do you think? I'm so glad you asked this. I think this comes up a lot around this time of the year, especially. Mm -hmm. So food rules, kind of like I was saying with intuitive eating, are things that are not based on intrinsic cues, are not based Mm -hmm. on what it feels like to be in your body. They are 
for lack of a better word, right? There are rules about what you can or can't eat. Mm-hmm. Think of a diet that says you can have this and you can't have that. Or somebody who might say, I can only eat blank at certain times of the day. Maybe going back to that example of getting ice cream. Sometimes mm-hmm. it comes out that you're saying, I can only have ice cream in the evening. That's a food rule, mm. right? I can only eat certain foods at certain times, or I can eat any food I want, but I can only have a certain amount. Any food that's being labeled as good or bad and then feeling guilty after eating Mm. them is indicating to me that there is an underlying rule. It's Mm. telling you what you can or can't, should or should not have. And that when you break those, it's pretty natural to feel incredibly anxious and feel incredibly uncomfortable. Mm. So no, right? We don't want to follow them. And I think we all have food rules that we've probably made on our own and others that Mm -hmm. we've learned from family or friends or the media. And what I often push people to do is to name those rules. Okay, Mm -hmm. what are you telling yourself you can or can't have? And what if we did the opposite, right? What if we said yes to that friend who asked to get ice cream in the afternoon? What would that feel like? And then what about the next time we do it and the time after that? going for this idea of habituation, that the more we do something scary, the less scary it becomes. So we ride that wave of anxiety and it can feel pretty terrible. And I often tell people I'm gonna sit in the suck with them, right? That Mm -hmm. this is not a good feeling. And we're doing it because we know that later in life or eventually it won't feel like this and that'll be so worth it. Mm. And those food rules that don't make us feel good, those wherever they came from, how do we rewrite them? Is there something you would say to someone to start with? Um, How do you start that like rewriting kind of process? I think it depends. I Mm -hmm. often ask people to think, what would you tell a child if you met them now, Mm -hmm. right? Or what would you want them to believe? Or what would you say to a friend who was telling you this, right? Would you say, no, don't eat the ice cream, you shouldn't come? Or would you say, right, I want you there and I think it'd be really great if we could share this experience. And I think while it's hard to maybe bring it back to our younger selves because we're past that point, Mm -hmm. there's still space for us to be learning. And sometimes people are able to more identify what they want to learn or what they want this to look like if they're speaking about somebody else. Because why can't we get the love and respect that we give to other people? Why don't we give Mm -hmm. that to ourselves? Hmm. Speaking to ourselves like we would speak to a friend, that is a powerful tool that has helped me through a lot of that negative self-talk, whether it's about food or or not. Um, That negative self-talk, I would not say those things to my friends or my family, so why am I saying them to myself? And I think we've kind of scratched the surface and I'm ready to go a little deeper too of this connection between food and mental health. Do you see that connection and how do you kind of describe or define it? Absolutely. I think as corny as it might be, (laughs) some people say good food, good mood. Sometimes it is just true, right? (laughs) We can just embrace it. I think also, I really think about a Snickers commercial, to be honest here. So think about being hangry, (laughs) Uh right? The whole world stinks when you are hangry. You are doing less than your best work. You are frustrated. It is hard to focus. Anything that you are doing, it's harder when you're hungry. 
So that's really where I draw that connection, right? Mm -hmm. If we are not taking care of our body, we're not fueling our body, we're not getting enough energy, our mental health is absolutely going to suffer. Things become more frustrating. People we love become more frustrating to us. I'm sure we've Mm -hmm. all been in that situation where you're Mm -hmm. so hangry. And even if you care about the person you're with, they are so annoying, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And you mentioned it before too, right? Travel or Mm -hmm. connection or community, right? How would it feel to be the one person not eating something or to Mm -hmm. not eat it because you think that you shouldn't or you, I hate to say this word, but you don't deserve it, Mm -hmm. right? I think that impacts our mental health of being left out. Mm -hmm. And they think we're allowed to enjoy things. Right, we're mm-hmm. allowed to have soup on a cold day or get hot chocolate with a friend. Right, you're in grad school. How else do you make friends besides meeting for coffee or mm-hmm. grabbing a sandwich? Right, those things all boost our mental health. Right, getting connection mm-hmm. with other people, and often that can involve food. Mm. There is a really big community aspect, a communal ritual of eating and sharing food with someone else that maybe you know or you do not know yet and how it can bring people together so I think you you broke down that relationship really really well and I think we've been talking a lot about rethinking rewriting redefining a lot of re-prefixes and I'd love to (laughs) to hear too of how like you talked talked about this a little earlier about how you view health you you shared how that had shifted for you when you started school Um, But I think a lot of what we do on this podcast, too, is changing the way we talk about mental health. Um, And you can't tell someone's health from looking at them. I think you said that earlier. And same with mental health. You don't know what's going through someone's brain. It's so internal. It's theirs. It's up to them to share or not share. Um, So I'd love to hear how you view health now, you know, post-grad, in your role. um, What has shifted for you? So much, so much. And I think you're so spot on, especially with mental health as well. Mm -hmm. We don't know what's going on below the surface. Mm -hmm. So I guess to answer this, I think health is just individual. And when I really talk with people and ask them, usually in the first session or two, I ask somebody, what does health mean to you? And I want to focus on what it feels like in their body versus a number or a size or an appearance. I want to know, how would you know that you're healthy and in what context? So thinking about relationships, right? Do you think it would be healthy if you said no to everything that included food? Or Mm -hmm. do you think it would be healthy if you brought your own food to every family event? And kind of going from there, breaking down specific situations And saying for one person what's healthy definitely isn't healthy for another. And Mm -hmm. I think we've been conditioned over and over to see health as getting X minutes of movement or exercise in during a week. And it's just not true, right? We all need different things. And I certainly would never tell a child that they should be spending more time at the gym. Just (laughs) like I probably wouldn't tell my grandmother that she should be playing more tag in the playground, right? Movement and health are going to look different for everyone. And I think that's why it's important that not necessarily just with me, but when seeing a dietitian or seeing a provider, you're getting this personalized advice because 
we need to explore what's going on. And we also have to make sure at baseline, you're getting in enough energy and enough fuel for you to have the energy to do things on top of just be, mm-hmm. right? Our bodies need energy just to help our blood pump, to have our organs working, to breathe, to make our brain function. So when we add other things on top, we have to make sure we're getting enough baseline so that then we can really explore other parts of health and what that looks like. Mm. And I think with um, food and mental health too, there can be this inner dialogue when we're eating or when we're planning our meals or when we're hungry um, that, that it can be negative self-talk. What would you say to someone listening, your client, whoever it is, who is having that negative self-talk when it comes to food? Is there something you would walk them through? Well, what does that kind of look like? The first thing I like to remind everyone is that food is energy. Mm-hmm. And there is no form that is better or worse than another. That different foods are going to serve a different purpose. And even if that purpose is comfort, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe it's a glass of hot chocolate, that is still serving a purpose. And that's okay. I also like to bring it back to talking to a friend. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't yep. tell a friend that they shouldn't put something on their plate. So you shouldn't either. You are allowed to like your food. You are allowed to enjoy the experience. And sometimes I might say, what can we add here? And maybe we're adding something based on this concept of gentle nutrition. So including something that you know will provide your energy with what it needs. So maybe that means adding some protein to your plate or adding some vegetables, even if you aren't really, really in the mood for it. That there are still benefits of including more versus restricting and including less. Mm -hmm. I'm always going to say, what can we add here? Hmm. So instead of saying, I shouldn't be having this, I'm being bad, right? We can say, Mm -hmm. I'm allowed to enjoy food. I'm allowed to choose foods that taste good to me and provide my body with what it needs. And I'm going to add a few other things to get closer Mm -hmm. to what my body needs. Mm. Giving ourselves permission. And I love that you talked about adding rather than subtracting. That is such a positive, exciting way to to look at food and food in our mental health and food as energy, as you said. And how can we start to maybe rethink resolutions that we may make around health or food? I think I've never been a resolution kind of gal. (laughs) Nothing wrong with them. No hate to a resolution. (laughs) I think it's just never been something that I've done. I don't have anything against them. And I think that they can be helpful. I think lots of people love to write things down. People love to journal. We love to have a to-do list to operate Mm -hmm. off of. And I think the most important thing I push people towards when we're thinking about resolutions is thinking about how you want to feel in your body. So I want to push us back to intrinsic, thinking about what it feels like to be in our body versus Mm -hmm. extrinsic. How do we want to appear? How do we want other people to think about us? Or how do we want to fit into rules that other people have made? So instead of saying, I want to shrink my body or I want to manipulate it, right? I might say like, how do you want to feel? And somebody might say, I want to feel more comfortable or confident when I am engaging in movement or exercise. So then maybe we talk about, okay, what's an attainable goal? How many days per week could we add in a walk 
or what other type of movement brings you joy or makes you happy? And then adding in those things because there are lots of lots of options, right? When we think about a resolution and you think my brain around the new year definitely goes towards all the marketing for weight loss and exercise. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's where my example really falls of maybe we don't need to be doing this for the sake of weight loss, but what would it feel like if you were moving more? Would it feel better or worse? Would you feel more connected to your body or would you just be focused on how your body's changing? Right? And then making specific goals from there. And at the same time, going back to, instead of taking things away, what can we mm -hmm. add? So I might not say, okay, don't eat dessert. Right? We might say, I'm gonna be mindful about what I'm eating. I'm gonna explore what my body is asking for. If I'm in the mm -hmm. mood for a cookie, I'm gonna eat it. And we see we're less likely to consume more of something in the future or feel out of control around that thing when we consistently allow ourselves access. Hmm. So instead of making a rule of not being able to have it, we're going to say, okay, I can have it. And what would it feel like if I allowed myself using your word, right? What would it feel like if I had permission hmm. to do this? Mm -hmm. And maybe that resolution suddenly becomes, I want to be more mindful about my resolution my resolution. I want to be more mindful about my relationship with food and sugar, right? Why am I blaming mm -hmm. cookies or why am I thinking that cookies are a problem? Right. And starting to mm -hmm. dig into that. So lots of questions. Mm -hmm. I feel like um, for me, at least I know I can't be the only one for me in food. It's a lot of like um, control. It's my need for control. My want for control. I can control this. So um, and it, control of I can control this can be a, we can rethink it, we can reword it as that positive permission. Um, maybe control is giving myself permission to have that cookie. Um, but I think that's a big thing for me, food, mental health and control. Um, do you see that often? Have you seen that before? What do you think about that? I think you are doing my job. I agree. <laughs> right. I think we want control. I think it's innately mm -hmm. human that when the rest of the world feels like it's out of our control, I think, especially in the last two years, we mm -hmm. want to hold on to something that we can be in charge of, that we can say, I'm doing this, this, and this, and that's the answer. And sometimes mm -hmm. I ask, right, is it you being in control or is it what you've learned that you should or should not do? Hmm. Right? And it's kind of flipping it and saying, maybe the control is, instead of restricting, allowing myself and seeing what it feels like to eat the things that I enjoy and share those experiences with friends and family. And maybe that's the change that I need. And I'm controlling that. Hmm. That word should, it keeps coming up. And I saw something that said, stop shoulding yourself. And I loved that because that word should I should be doing this. I should be eating this. Who, who is telling you and me that we should be doing X, Y, and Z? Um, so that <laughs> word is, is, it's there. And we all say it so often, but I think it even connects back to um, this idea of society too. You talk about rethinking our relationship with food, our bodies and society. We've talked about food. We've talked about our bodies. I'd love to talk about this society part two of people who are writing people whatever it is writing those food rules society writing those food rules how do we kind of 
um, come to terms with that too. I think social media, media has such a powerful influence on our relationship with food specifically. How do you start to rethink um, that society part of rethinking relationships? I think the first part is naming where the beliefs or rules come from. Mm. Saying, where did I learn this? Right? Was it on Instagram or TikTok? Was <laughs> it something that I read in a newspaper or magazine in the 2000s when they were talking about hip hugger jeans? Right? <laughs> is it something that my family always talked about? Or is it something that I saw in friends or friends' parents or families when I was growing up? I think once we're able to identify where some of our beliefs come from, then we can kind of do the work, right? Why do I believe this? And now that I know I had this example and it was taken as fact, right? Do I feel this way personally or do I feel this way because I was told to? And I think starting to explore what does feel good for you? What does feel mm -hmm. good in your body? Right? And questioning where did those rules come from? And then sitting through unpacking those and then using those as a tool. Because once you're able to identify where they come from and the emotion or the feeling that it brings up mm -hmm. in your body, you can start to navigate. And the next time you come to a similar situation, you can say, I've been here before. I know that this is uncomfortable. And... I don't need to believe that health looks a certain way, hmm. right? That I'm still worthy of eating and still worthy of love and connection and relationships, even if my body changes, even if hmm. I eat this slice of cake. I think there's often a connection between worth or morality hmm. and our food choices. And we want to cut that off because hmm. the truth is, I don't really care if you had a slice of cake for breakfast, Eden. Right? I'm still going to care about you. I still think you're oh. a great person. <laughs> oh, and that's, that's like step one too, is, is coming to the, the why of why I feel this way or where did this come from? That's step one. And then I love that. Just like not caring if you have that cake or cookie or whatever for breakfast, because that's not who you are. You are not that piece of cake or that cookie. You're not that choice. Um, there's so much more than that. And I think we're all going to be leaving this podcast episode with a whole new list of questions to sit with and explore um, <laughs> because of you. So thank you for sharing all of those. What inspires you to be even more than okay? Such a tough one, but so <laughs> important. I think it really comes down to, I don't want to be just okay. I mm. want to feel excited and I want to feel like things are changing and that the future won't look at bodies and health the way that we have in the past. And I think it comes back to that idea of worry that I don't want people to worry in the ways that we have about our body or our food choices or the morality it connects us to. I want people to be able to do things that feel good. I want people to be able to eat with friends and family. And knowing that I'm working towards that and helping people to uncover that is what makes me feel more than okay. Thank you for listening to The Okay Days. Like what you heard? Rate, review, and click to subscribe. Share with your friends so we can continue to find ways to talk about mental health. And for more, follow The OK Days or learn more at theokdays.com. Music by Keon Music. I'm your host, Eden, and I'll see you soon.